<laughs> All right, I'm recording here with Justin Sadler, star quarterback, Munich Cowboys, also here with little TJ, the third quarterback in the call. Uh, Justin, how you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing I'm doing great. So, just doing a little daddy daycare, getting him his knowledge from the best quarterback I know. Um, so I want to start with your your football career, sports career in general, from the from the very beginning. What was Justin Sotelaire's interest in sport? Very beginning, I played. Uh, I was playing flag football. Six years old, terrible. Didn't didn't see the field. I think until I was like I don't know, eight or nine. I was a backup. I was a nose guard. I was one of those dudes that was like not athletic enough to do anything, but you have to get a certain amount of snaps for Pop Warner. So I was, I was one of those dudes. Um, but yeah, played Pop Warner all the way through, went to high school, was terrible in high school, actually. We went, we were like, oh, and 24. This is a bad start to the interview. But I got better as I got older. So um, when was the, uh, so you started out as a nose guard. Was that just because you were a big kid or you just didn't think to play no. quarterback? Because I couldn't play any other positions. <laughs> so when did I was, the uh, when did I don't the know? I think I, I think I switched to QB at like at nine, and then I was playing that. Yeah. What what did you what you you were a fan of a team or what got Miami you Dolphins. originally? Miami Dolphins. Actually, I, I think maybe the reason I got into football is probably because my parents signed me up. I don't think I really cared that much as a little kid. I didn't have my own thoughts. <laughs> I think, I think they just signed me up. Some of my friends played, so I just played with them. And you're but from then Baltimore, Maryland? Columbia. It's Columbia, directly Maryland. directly in between Baltimore, North, and D.C. in the South. Okay. So, so from Columbia, so how do you end up a Miami Dolphins fan? Dan Marino. I, I, was, I was a fan of him. I had a whole bunch of VHS tapes. For any of those listeners who don't know what a VHS is, screw you. But uh, I had all those, and I used to watch those a whole bunch, and – Apparently, I became a Dolphins fan originally because my dad would have me do the picks, and I would always pick. I'd base I'd base my picks on the logos, and I always I always liked the Dolphins logo, so they they always had my pick always. Dolphins logo and the teal color just worked for you. Yeah, exactly. You get to nine, you start becoming the quarterback. Do you, are you the starting quarterback? Or are you still? Yeah, yeah, yep, starting quarterback. Oh yeah, now, all the way up old, into high it. school. All handoffs, all handoffs. I think I threw my first pass when I was like 13 in a game. Pop Warner back then was just all, you know, two split backfield under center, no shotgun, nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, played played in high school, and when I got there, they had already been 0 and 10. We went 0 and 10 my junior year, and then my senior year, we won our first game and like snapped a uh, like a state record of losing. And it was such an awesome game. They carried me off the field. It was super fun. Because we what finally won a game. Start as the quarterback in high school? Junior. Junior year. Junior year. That. Did you play anything else while you were – No, I, I ran – I think I ran track my, my junior year as well, just to try to get a little bit faster. But not for like – you know, not because I was a speedster, but to get faster. That's why I did it. So where would you say your skill set was as a 16, 17-year-old? You know, nowadays they're sending guys to all these camps and quarterbacks are like their own private sport guy. And where was your skill set at? Were you just casually a quarterback or what? I was a backyard baller. I played, I played backyard football every day of my life 
that's what I did with, with all my time. Yeah. Um, so I was actually, you know, developed, you get enough hours of doing anything, you're going to develop some skill set. but it was never like polished. When I, when I watch some videos of, of kids now, they've got some solid technique at their age. And I never really had that. It was just, I was accurate because I threw a million passes and that's right. really, that's really it. But yeah, I wouldn't say like polish or anything like that. I, I wouldn't, I, I didn't get recruited by any major schools. I had a couple letters from some D1 schools, but it was just like, hey, come look at our campus, come walk on. Um, but yeah, I ended up going D3 to Wesley and played there. So what led to the, what led to D3, what led to Wesley? Like Wesley's a really good D3. So it's not like yeah. he, I just went D3. So you did go to a good program. So how'd they recruit yeah. you and everything? So I, I had actually committed to going to Canada my senior year. I went, I flew out to a couple different schools for visits. I went to Dana College in Nebraska. I was interested in going there because they had set some record of pass attempts in a game. It was like a hundred pass attempts. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, I can, that's like, that's backyard football, but with pads on, I can do that. Um, but then. What offense did you run in high school? We were, we were kind of, it was a weird mix of things. We were a little bit, a little bit pro style, but also a little bit spread. Um, we didn't have, we didn't really have a, like a running back. We had a fullback on our team who was a massive, massive dude. And like, you look at him and you're like, okay, he, he also was like a D tackle for us. Like he was, he wasn't like a, a stereotypical running back. So we kind of just mixed things up. And, and did a whole bunch of weird stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was a weird mix. But um, yeah, leaving, leaving uh, high school, I, I actually accepted a, a scholarship to go to play in St. Francis Xavier for the X-Men in Canada. Yep. And then I went up there twice on my second visit. It was like, I don't know, late April or something like that. It was near graduation and it was snowing. And the guys were wearing shorts and a t-shirt and I'm like wearing, I'm like bundled up in Under Armour. I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. Like if this is what your summers are like, I'm probably not in for this like long-term. So I ended up backing out of that. And then, um, yeah, this was like, you know, working up towards to Wesley was only a few months away for the start of the next season. I hadn't committed to a college. So I ended up choosing Wesley because it was the best option that was available. And Thank God. I mean, that was like, uh, that was the best decision that I made. The, the coaching staff there was, was, I mean, they're elite for a reason. They're good every year for a reason because they, they know what they're doing. They have a good system that's set up. So I got lucky with that one. And when you got there, uh, so there's a quarterback lineage kind of out of Wesley. So what was going on with the quarterback room when you show up at Wesley? Freshman year, there were eight dudes and, um, and then uh, we actually had a senior quarterback at the time. And I remember talking to a sophomore QB. He was really cocky, the only QB with a visor and always swagged out and everything. And I remember him like saying, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the starting job. And it's like, this is the senior quarterback who's been there for, for, you know, the four years and this new sophomore kid saying like, okay, yeah, that's my job. I'm taking it. And he did, he did uh, on the second game. Uh, he was a starter. He came in at the end of the first game and then he just dominated for the next two years, his fret, or sophomore and junior year. 
And then he came and I was his backup for, for two years. I got to start one time my sophomore year when he was out for, for a game. And then um, his, his senior year, he came in third play of the season. He was All-American his junior year, preseason All-American, huge expectations. And he tore his ACL third play of the first game. So I ended up stepping in and playing for that year. And then he ended up coming back and playing the next year. We had a battle in camp. How did you guys do? The, so you're the starter for third play. Yeah. How did you do? How was that season? First year as a college starter. We had – so regular season, we had the toughest strength of schedule and for D3. So we actually we, – we finished the season as the number one overall ranked seed for the playoffs. Like going into the playoffs, we were ahead of Mount Union and Whitewater. Whitewater had to come to us. I mean, they proved – they won the national championship that year and they proved why they should have been ranked number one overall seed because they freaking destroyed me. Um, but – we, I mean, I played pretty decent. I was, I, I can't remember the name of the awards that I got, but I think like uh, South Region Player of the Year or something, or I don't know. Uh, I got some awards that year and played decent enough for it to, to give me preseason All-American for when I came back the next year. Um, so you guys won every game but, but the playoff against Whitewater? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've um, just gone – done through all that then the next year coming back and you've got two basically all american quarterbacks same team yeah that was a that was a pretty fun that was a pretty fun battle and then also that year a new kid came in joe callahan who yeah. ended up going to the nfl and, and being absolute stun um, so in that in that little battle with my senior year and mcsweeney um, he ended up winning that, and then I sat out, played the next year, and when I came back, Callahan, I was a senior, and Callahan was a sophomore, and uh, a redshirt sophomore or something, and that dude was a freaking beast. Like, he did not make any mistakes. It was a huge, like, it was a tough battle um, for me, and, like, you know, you're supposed to be senior QB, the absolute stud, preseason All-American, all that stuff, and this dude is coming in, and he's just like, and he's more advanced. He, he's, he has a stronger arm. He's more accurate. Did not make mental mistakes. So it, was, it really forced me to, to kind of like up my level a bit, which was awesome to have that, to have that little competition. How were you and mentally we, the year that you didn't win the starter job after? That how was, was that yeah. when they're like, hey, you, you got second? Yeah, yeah, that actually sucked. Um, but I took it as – uh, just, I mean, I, I took it in stride. I basically said, okay, well, I mean, I, I understand like that's, I mean, it's business decision. I think a lot of dudes and I had people tell me like, are you going to transfer? Are you going to transfer? Like, no, like this is, this is where I'm playing. Um, if I lost then I lost, you know, that's, that's how it goes. And that means that I did something wrong. So I need to figure out exactly what needs to change to do it the right way. So I spent that year actually uh, as a coach and watching a whole bunch of film and trying to learn as much as I could from that season. Um, and then I was also like up in the booth and, and uh, helping to identify the defense. And um, I mean, it was, it was, I turned something negative into a positive because I kind of looked at football a little bit differently after that. Cause once you switch into coaching, then you really start to see the bigger picture rather than just the, you know, what you see as a player on the field. Right. Oh.
So most guys would have probably transferred. Why do you think your brain wasn't wired that way? Especially um, nowadays. Quarterback doesn't win yeah. a job, he's gone. Especially if you're at a good program like that, there's plenty of places he yeah. would start at. I think, I think most likely because of the way that my, my parents raised me. Uh, I had, I mean, I don't remember too much, um, but I, I remember they used to tell me that I would want to quit every single season when I was a kid, like five, six, seven years old, all the way going up into Pop Warner, I would want to quit. I'd want to start the season and then midway I'd get bored with it. And then I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I don't want to go to practice today. And they would force me to go. Once I started, they said, okay, if you want to quit, quit after the season, but you committed to it, you're sticking with it. And that's just, that's just how it is. That's the way the world works. Um, so I think that's probably just, uh, yeah, stuck in my brain and, and kind of continued from there. So how'd you guys do when you took back over senior year? We did, we did solid. We lost, I, I think we went on to, no, no, no. We didn't go undefeated in the regular season. I think we lost one game to Mary Harden Baylor. Um, and then we ended up losing to Mary. No, I'm not sure if we beat them in the regular season. I don't remember. We we lost them in the playoffs that year. Um, quarterfinals, something like that. Pretty good season. I mean, nothing spectacular. It was it was honestly it was standard for Wesley. I think for most Division three programs, they would look at that season and be like, "Oh my God, this is an amazing season." For us, it was like we didn't win the national championship. So yeah, then we lost. That's it. So the, you had basically two years between games. But you also mm -hmm. had a year of learning. So how would you say, was it rocky starting back off, have being so long between game reps, or was it slowed down? Yeah. What happened? Um, so my, my first, first game of the season, um, <laughs> I like if you look at the statistics, it looks decent. Like I threw, I don't know, five, four or five touchdowns, something like that, over 300, 400 yards. Um, but when you like look at the film – you can see the nervousness that I had. I remember the first fade that I threw landed like 10 to 15 yards in front of the receiver. It was, and then like when you watch the whole film, it's like, oh, come on, dude. What are you doing? Get your shit together. <laughs> but I think, yeah, after, after like the first, you know, you first get the butterflies out. Then after that, it was it was pretty normal. Also, the there was a big difference in the guys that I had. My junior year when I started, the average height of my receiver they were taller than me. I had yeah. a six three dude and a six two dude, and then my slot receiver was also relatively tall. My tight end was a big dude, and then I come back, and my two stud receivers, actually three stud receivers, um, the X, H, and, and uh, Z, they're all like five foot eight, five seven, like small dudes, but burners. But um, I just had not been, I'd not been used to that. I have never used that in high school or anything like that. And then in college, the first year, I was always throwing to tall dudes. So a lot of the, like the fades where I'd like to just kind of, a lot of, a lot of my style, if you watch any of my film, I kind of just, if I have a big dude, they're going to get a lot of catches and they're going to catch a lot of fades. Cause I know if they, if they have that one-on-one -on -one matchup, I can put it in their vicinity a lot of times high back shoulder and I'll just let them go up and get it. It doesn't work the same way with speed guys. You got to kind of hit them in stride 
Uh, and that was just not my strong suit. Basically, I'm just not as accurate. <laughs> that's it. That's the that's the, uh, the the reality of the situation. But yeah, kind of. Hard to go to the little guys. Okay, so you finish up. You lose to Mary Hard Balin, and then uh, what's the what's the process there? If you decide to be a teacher, you finish college. What what are you doing with your life? Yeah, I went. I did a um, ECN uh, showcase in Akron. And went there. Um, I was one of the only, I think there were two D3 guys, two D3 guys there. Everybody was a scholarship player. I was talking to all these guys. I'm like, none of these dudes had to pay for school. I'm sitting there <laughs> with all these student loans. And I'm like, God damn it. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't get anything from that. And then I just got an offer as a, as a teacher, at one of the schools I did my student teaching at. And then I started coaching at the other. Um, and yeah, for that year it was just teaching health and and coaching football, and that's it. And I started training one of the one of the young quarterbacks from the varsity team, like personal training him uh, with with football stuff. And then randomly, I got uh, I got a couple different messages on Facebook because I didn't know that Euro players or the podium existed. I don't think the podium actually existed at the time, but yeah. Euro players. I didn't even know that that was a thing and I'm just sitting at my at my desk you know in school and I got I get an email or a Facebook message from these the Panderborn Dolphins and they hit me up and were talking to me about playing football and I was like okay well this is I don't think this is actually real they're telling me that European football is a thing I quickly googled it couldn't find anything and I was like all right whatever it's not real it's just a just a prank and then another team hit me up and then another team hit me up and I think within, within like a two week period, I had uh, three or four teams that had contacted me on Facebook. And the reason they knew me is because I guess another QB from Wesley, uh, Chris Warwick had played overseas at GFL one and yeah, played, played quite well. So I think they were just looking for Wesley QBs and saw so I was the most recent graduate. So then they hit me up and I ended up taking a, a job playing for the Franken Knights and uh, we went over there. I saw like the way that the, the organization was run. I had no idea what, you know, professional football was going to be like in, in Europe. Um, yeah. I mean, it was way different from Wesley, you know, Wesley, we had 150 guys at practice, you know, it's, it was very high tempo. Every single drill was scripted, organized. Every coach knew exactly what, points they were trying to get across all the coaching cues all that there. stuff there. okay so franken knights you're with the franken knights 2014 what uh what was the deal yeah so yeah playing playing there you, know, you come into uh the, this professional football environment in europe you don't really know exactly what to expect coming from wesley i was a completely different completely different scenario. I had no idea really that it was going to be like this at Wesley. We had 150 guys at practice. We had, I don't know, 20 some coaches, a whole bunch of volunteers. Uh, every drill was scripted. Everything was, was the coaching cues were on point. Everybody knew exactly what the, the mission or the goal was for that day. And you get over to Europe uh, and there's, you know, you have like two coaches on a team um, and I definitely it's, it's grown since then. I haven't been on a, a team with two coaches in a while, but, um, 
yeah, you, you come over here and it's, it's uh, as a player, you end up kind of having to take on a coaching role. And that wasn't really, um, you know, I had no idea about that. So first year, I didn't really put in a crazy amount of effort. Uh, the team was also, I mean, we were just not, we were not good. Uh, we definitely could have been better. One. I'm sorry? You were in GFL 1? The Knights were yeah. in GFL 1 back then? So, yeah. uh, so we, did you end up coordinating the offense? It, it, was, it was kind of a mixture. So we had a head coach that was actually let go in the middle of the season for some weird reasons. But, um, yeah, I don't know exactly why or, or how that happened. That kind of pissed the team off a little bit, actually. But uh, he um, – you know, we had an offense in place, and then it was actually me and JoJo Joyner, who is a, now a coach for Schwabish Hall. He was a, he was the star receiver there, and him and I and another guy were working on the playbook, Martin, um, and trying to sort out everything. And I just kind of like took what they had, and then added some of my own twists from from Wesley, and then we would just all kind of collectively call plays in the game. Like it wasn't like okay, we have an offensive coordinator. And he calls all the plays. So I'm, sometimes it was like, like on the sidelines, you'll like kind of point and I'll be like, all right, let me just think of something real quick. So um, that was like the first situation where I kind of realized like how difficult it is to call plays when you're not fully prepared for, for that whole, you know, that thing to go down. So, yeah. Were there other imports on the team? We did. We had a running back, Cordarius Mann, and then we had a DB, Wayne. And Wayne was a freaking beast. That dude was like – he was he was a smaller guy. He was smooth. <laughs> okay, so you're kind of calling plays on the fly, uh, playing against some talent that was probably higher. Did you guys have other imports? Yeah, we had we had two guys, three guys actually. One, one towards ACL, like the beginning of the season. I don't know maybe first, second game or something like that. And then he just stayed. He stayed the whole time. Didn't, didn't do anything. Um, I mean, he was uh, – I'm sure he watched film, maybe. <laughs> but he just kind of hung out with us. And, and then we had Wayne was a DB who was a small dude but really, really smooth, uh, crazy ball skills. He ended up playing receiver for us because, um, well, I think it was just kind of mixing between uh, him and Cordarius on offense. Cordarius, man, was a running back. He was also – he was a small dude, but he was shifty, like crazy shifty. He's been in – he played for – like in the GFL uh, for a few years. Um, I'm actually not sure where he's at right now, but he was he was here, you know, I think maybe last year or two years ago. Um, but, yeah, I think we had two – we had a few imports that were on the field, and then the rest of it were – we had a bunch of Germans, and then we were going up – yeah, I guess some other teams there had a bunch of stud imports – um, and, and a lot more of them. Uh, so that made it a little bit different. In Germany, you're allowed to import anyone from Europe, anyone pretty much from anywhere. The only rule is on Americans and Canadians, probably. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I believe, Mexico. And maybe Mexico. maybe some parts in Asia. I don't know if, like, I don't know if, if you bring over a Japanese or a Chinese import, I don't know if that's yeah, I think Japanese. That yeah, that makes sense. So just a talent differential on your team to the budget kind of structure. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there for the previous years, but when, I mean, not, not to, you know, knock them or anything like that, but the, the structure of, of 
how we set up practice, the number of guys that showed up. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't at the level of some of the teams that I, I have played on since. You know, like like when I compare when I compare Munich's practice to the practices that we had in 2014 there, the number of guys that are that are at the Munich practice. I mean, we don't not go 11 on 11. That's that's not. I mean, it's normal to go 11 on 11. We don't we don't stray from that. In Rotenberg, if we went 11 on 11, it was like preseason, and I don't I don't think that we did. We had a preseason camp where we did, but I don't think that we really did that during the season. And we had we didn't have enough guys, um, so that made it really difficult, as you can imagine can't run scout team. You can't run, run plays because you don't have enough offensive line. So you can't practice anything. Um, so all the timings messed up and the, you know, blocking schemes. It's I'm, I'm sometimes meeting, literally meeting players on game day. I go, Hey, I'm your quarterback. Good to meet you. <laughs> How'd your season personally go? Do you feel? Was well, it as a team? We went oh in 14. We lost every game. Individually, I was okay. Um, I I had fifty some touchdowns that year. Um, I was one of the top in GFL for touchdowns. But you know, that's it's like if every team is putting up fifty on us, then it doesn't matter if we're scoring thirty. <laughs> um, we got blown out every single game, basically. You were um, just throwing from behind every week. Every yeah, yeah exactly. We we abandoned the run early in the game. Every game, so you're gonna rack up stats, and you're also gonna rack up stats when backups come in. That's that's the other reality of the situation. Um, I think we had a few close games. We actually played Munich quite close that year. We played uh, Reinecker Bandits pretty close that year. Um, we're level yeah, level of the Knights now. I'm not sure. I really okay. don't know. Kept up they're that. not gfl one or two yeah yeah so what happened after uh you finished your first year over there you did you enjoy living in germany enjoy the import experience i did because it was so rotenberg as a city is amazing it's a city within a wall it's yeah. like what you what you think of when you think of like a, a disney movie when you look at like a castle like that's that's what rotenberg is it was like a little Christmas wonderland town. Um, and uh, I mean, I loved, loved, you know, living in that city. And yeah, once, once the season ended, it was basically, I went home to, to America, got a job working at like Best Buy actually uh, for a few months uh, over the holidays and then came back to Finland the next year. Because uh, the guy who tore his ACL told me that he had been talking to Saniaki Crocodiles and that he was going to commit. So he was like, you should look into them. So I looked into them and then they, they liked my film. So they're like, okay, yeah, we'll bring you over. And then he ended up bailing out. So I haven't seen that dude since. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So then you ended up in Finland. Mm -hmm. How did uh, the Finnish league compare to the German league back then? Yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't the same in terms of like uh, the DVs. Um, I mean, I was kind of lucky that all the years that I was in Finland, we we had some stud receiving cores. Uh, so I'm mean, actually I've always kind of had that 
Um, since I've been in Europe, I don't think I've played on a team without a stud receiving core. Even in Franken, we had that. Um, but it was we had Tim Thomas, Spencer, uh, Harry Ennis was it was it like six foot I don't know six foot six or seven six foot seven tight end. There was a play I threw him a pass. He caught while looking back at me and turned around and somebody came up full speed to just crush him like a kill shot. And he ran through that guy, and that guy got hurt. He was a massive, massive dude. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a lot of weapons there, and um, we were able to just kind of, like, you know, pick some teams apart. We went to the championship that year, and we lost to the Roosters. Uh, we beat them in the regular season, um, but then, yeah, ended up losing to them in the championship. But I think that was maybe the only game that we lost that year, either that or to Torku or something like that. But Another good season. How about life in Finland? How'd you like? How'd you like that? The city of Sanjaki is is not as exciting as the city of uh, Rotenburg up to Tauber, because it's not that Cinderella town. Um, but it is. I mean, it's a nice. It's a nice area. Finnish life in general, the standard is a crazy high quality of living. I mean, I mean, it's like. Uh, it's also pretty. In my opinion, it's more westernized than Germany in some in some uh, in some ways. The stores that you have, you have like these major shops that you can go to, kind of like a Walmart, um, and they're that's what people regularly shop at in in places like Finland. Versus in Germany, you go to when I go grocery shopping right now, I walk five minutes to a Lidl or a Penny, uh, and it's a small store that I get all my my groceries in, but it's limited. You're in Finland, you have the car and you drive and you have this massive Walmart type of store. Um, right. Yeah. But also like you had, the, the one thing I had to get, get used to in Finland was the 24 hour sunlight during the summer. That was a bit of a, of an extreme situation where you like come out of the club and it's, you know, 4am and the, the sun is like, you know, or 3am it's bright and shiny and all that stuff. So yeah, that was kind of cool. I had to get a sleep mask. Not having, with just speaking English, how did that go over in both countries? Fairly easy? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's quite easy. In Germany, you have a lot of Americans over here from the, from the military. And then, you know, it kind of just branches from there with, with people end up coming over and then staying here. And then everybody in Germany, I mean, they learn English in, in school. In Finland, same thing. Everybody speaks English for the most part in the younger generation, especially anybody who watches television because they don't, they don't like dub over. They'll do subtitles, but they don't dub over the voices in Finnish. So mm-hmm. you go to a movie theater in Finland, you're watching it in English. Um, so everybody really speaks, speaks English. I didn't have any problems whatsoever. Um, the only time I had problems after in San, after Saniaki, I went to Russia. And in, in Moscow, no one spoke English. I could barely speak to my teammates in, in Moscow. Been yeah. down that road. Yeah. <laughs> How, what, what led you to choose, choose Moscow? So you lose to the Roosters, and then you're uh, like, I have to go to Russia. That's an interesting choice. So after, after I lost, I was talking to the team to see if I can, um, so they could extend my visa to stay over the entire winter and then train. Cause I'd re-signed with them. So I was going to play with them the next year. 
And um, so they, we were kind of working on that and then it wasn't going to work out. But then right when I was about to leave, I got an offer to go there. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I went to Moscow for, I think like two and a half months or something like that. And then came back to Finland, stayed for a few more weeks, flew home for a few weeks and then came back and it was already ready for the next season, basically. How, um, so how was the season in Moscow, Russia, Russian football? <laughs> that was strange. <laughs> that was really strange. They apparently they lost every game and then everybody makes the playoffs in that league. They lost all their games. And then they were like, we have money. So we're going to bring in four imports. So they brought over like four, four guys and we were studs over there. Like it was, I was Johnny Manziel in that league. And it was, I'm, honestly, it was kind of boring. You know, you don't want to do that, but um, I wanted to stay in Europe. So I was like, Oh yeah, I'll take it. Um, but it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. I've got some like, I don't know if I could tell these stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got some... one of uh, one good story of it. <laughs> okay, least. all right. Didn't know and if so, I was gonna make it. This, so yeah, so this this will kind of like sum up. I think this is a story that I tell most people when I talk about my time in Russia. So I went. Uh, I, I asked one of the guys on the team if I could get a SIM card for my phone while I was there, so I could have access to internet while I left the apartment. And he was like, yeah, okay. So he picked me up and he didn't speak that much English, drove me to some place and we're in the middle of, middle of the city and he stops the car, turns the car off and he opens his door. So I'm in the passenger seat. So I'm like, okay, obviously we're here. We didn't communicate because we just weren't really talking. I get out of the car, I get out, close the door. And when I close the door, I notice as I'm turning around that he's closing his door, turn the engine on and drives away. <laughs> Like, what the hell am I supposed to do right now? So I'm in a place where I don't know what's going on. I don't have access to internet or anything like that. I just walk into some, some shop and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get some food and I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to relax and <laughs> we'll see what happens. He comes back like 15 minutes later with like a plastic bag and he's like, here, put this in your phone. And I'm like, dude, no, where did you get that? Like, what's going on with this? Like, is there a contract with this SIM card? There was no paperwork, nothing. He just came back with a SIM card. And I was like, I don't trust you. I'm not doing this. So I didn't have a SIM card while I was there. At least he came back for you. I thought you were about to get yeah, left. Yeah, he came back for me. Oh. Came back. He did, that dude did hook me up with uh, those Russian nesting dolls. Oh, I yeah. actually have, I have a few of them. I got, I got uh, Russian nesting dolls with like my mom and dad are Eagles and Giants fans. It was a weird combination, but I got my dad the Eagles with all the players in there. And on the outside, it's my dad, his face. I gave him like a picture and they painted on there. And then same thing with my mom with all the Giants players. So that was cool. <laughs> the positive. Uh, so then you go right back to Finland. And how does that second season go with the Crocodiles? Second season was, was pretty good. I, I was working with that offensive coordinator the whole first year, Yoni. And he was, I mean, he's a, like a lifelong learner, you know, um, and was really into football. And basically he was the offensive coordinator. And uh, I would, I mean, it was my offense that I designed completely. And I was a little bit, that was kind of the shift in the mentality that I have today where um, I realized like, okay, if I'm going to actually 
you know, do well and, and be at, compete at a high level over here, I need to spend most of my time focusing on that. So the first two years I was in Europe, I hung out with all the guys and did all the normal import stuff. And then that year, I basically was at my laptop all the time. I did player grades. I broke down all the film. I had a lot of responsibilities, like offensive coordinator wise, um, created the full, the full playbook, um, which is kind of like a variation of the one that I published, so I don't know, two years ago or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it showed. I was really, really particular with my footwork and grading myself, the offensive line, the receivers. And we, I mean, we dominated. There was a point in the season where I was, I was at like 28 touchdowns and like two interceptions or something like that. And I was, I was really killing it. Um, we ended up going all the way to the championship that year. Uh, lost to the Roosters. That was our one loss. And then we beat the Roosters right before we got to the championship, like last, second last week of the season or something. But I mean, they're, they're like, uh, I will lost to them again in the championship. They, they have a ability to just win. I mean, they're, they're just, they're good. They're solid. Um, so it was a good season what again. About the boosters when you, when you, what, what about them? Is it the culture? Is it the, you know, obviously I think it's, I think it's a bit of everything. I mean, they, they have built a winning tradition. Um, like the mentality of the players, I think we, we went, when we went onto the field to play them, we beat them, I think on, on their home field that year. And when we showed up, I mean, you can tell just by looking at them that they've got some swag to them. The entire roster as a collective, they're just a little bit cocky, uh, in a good way, you know, uh, because they had, I think at the time had won like five or six championships in a row. So like they kind of had to, they just had that built uh, that that's what they do. Um, but also like they're a heavy, they're a heavy run team. They rely a lot on the run game and they have only a few, a few concepts that they use, but they run them well. And I know that game was like a huge, like downpour. We were a spread RPO style of an offense. And I mean, we, at one point we had to move under center for the, like the fourth quarter or late third quarter because we just couldn't get shotgun snaps anymore. So we had to completely change our entire offense because we're, we're all RPO based. And when you take the ball handling aspect of it and, you know, mix that with also like being able to catch, getting accurate throws and really heavy rain um, and just being able to make those pools and throws and all that stuff, it just really, it wasn't really working out. Uh, for us, and they were they were able to kind of just you know pound the ball down our throats, and I mean that's what winning teams do. They run well, and they can they can run when the environment tells them you should probably run the ball here. We just didn't have that ability. Uh, your teams always can pass, and you can always throw for a bunch of yards. Do you feel like you run into that a bunch, where sometimes you just run into the bigger, stronger, more physical club, and that kind of yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, for, for me, one of the things that I've been trying to work on the last few years is um, like, if I call plays, if I call plays, I, I don't want to call pass plays. I want to, I want to think run first because I know that you can beat not shittier teams, but you can beat teams that aren't at a, like they don't, they're not consistent with, 
whatever their, their coverage, their their reads, their footwork for for anything. If they have any tells or they're obvious or limited in what they can do, or you have a mismatch you can take advantage of, you can beat a lot of teams like that. But when you get to the better teams, you have to be able to run the ball. And if you're beating lesser teams by throwing a whole bunch, then you run into a team that you can't necessarily do that against and you have to rely on the run game, then you're screwed. Uh, so you need to practice running the ball. So one of the things that I've, I've been focusing on for myself is always keying the box, identifying exactly what is the best run concept that we can use in any scenario. Uh, and then from there, then I'll, if I need to think about the pass, I'll, I'll do that. But trying to switch the mindset from like the backyard football, okay, let's, let's throw it, you know, to, okay, how do, I, how do you win championships? You win championships by, by running consistently well. Right. So you finish up there, uh, second season with the Crocodiles, uh, and that's when you came to Australia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, led you to, what led you to Australia? Beaches and sunshine. That's it. Beaches and yeah, well, I wanted to hang out with a bunch of spiders and snakes that could kill me. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I'd been I'd been looking. I was actually kind of debating whether I was going to go to Spain that year or Australia because I really did want to have like I'd lived in Finland for quite some time and I had already committed to go back to Finland. Um, and I had actually kind of spent a winter over there while I was in Moscow and back to Finland for a bit. And I wanted some nice weather. And um, I mean, I knew that the situation in Australia was going to be a not like the high competition in terms of what I was what I was used to in Finland. So, I mean, when I got there, we were lifting heavy four times, five times a week, something like that every day after work. Um, so it was it was nice. I was able to kind of use it not as an off season. Uh, because we were still playing, but but to treat my body kind of like an off season and, and try to try to get really uh, into the weight room there. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it was also really fun playing in Australia because you got all those dudes who play Aussie rules and rugby. All the guys who play Aussie rules, like they're coordinated, very very coordinated, and that's one thing that I think you kind of don't have in other places where I feel like most people can play a little bit of receiver because they all have that hand-eye coordination. So, yeah. again, in Australia, we had a stud receiving core uh, with, with those dudes. Yeah. And then you, of course, yeah, playing course. everything. What, uh, what do you think is the thing that holds Australia back? So it's not the athletics, athleticism of the kids. Uh, so I asked Australian this yesterday on this. It, it's in the trenches, I think, definitely. I mean, but that's, that's what holds almost everybody back. If you look at all of the elite clubs in the world, they all have stud offensive defensive lines. Uh, that's that's the difference maker. Athletes, yeah, okay, that that does play play a role because um, if you got you know if you have that speed or height that you can use as a receiver and you can just beat somebody, um, then yeah, that's that's different. But for the most part, yeah, I think it's I think it's the big guys, the technique, the the, the coaching, the understanding of the schematics and, and making sure that everyone on the roster knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing for, for run plays. Um, I think that's like the difficult, that's the difficult part, but that's, that's more of, that's more of like, you have to bring in coaches. 
you have to bring in a true offensive line master, someone who not, not, I played offensive line for a few years in high school. And then now I'm playing over or now I'm coaching here, but somebody who played at the NFL level or coached at the NFL level and is retired and wants to just, yeah. Like you need to get somebody with a, a massive amount of knowledge to, to pass that on. Yeah. There's a weird thing with Australians where uh, it's like their their attention to detail is just I don't even understand. Nothing against Australians, but I just don't understand. You're speaking the same language as me, guys. What's going on? But in all these countries, and the Brazilian can get what I'm saying better than you can, and he doesn't know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> so I was looking for your theory on uh, on that conundrum of my brain. I don't know about that one. I really don't, I don't know, know about that. <laughs> so good season in Australia, and then you're going back to Finland, but not with the crocodiles, correct? Yeah, I went. I went back for Vaza, Vaza, um, and that's where that's where we had a coach, John Booker, John Booker, who was I mean, he played offensive line at a very very high level, uh, and he was like a true master of his craft, and that's that is like a, I learned a whole bunch from from him and a lot of the things my, the thought processes that I have now in terms of playbook play calling play design all that stuff I take a lot of that from him um and yeah we were I mean again pretty pretty competitive good got to the championship again lost to the roosters again I think that was like their seventh in a row that that year um but yeah we're still which do you think was the best you had to rank them one two three in terms of talent? In terms of or, if your three Finnish teams played each other, which one was the, the best? Uh, I mean, I'd say the Vaza team would, would beat all of them. But talent-wise, that 2016 year, we were we were loaded. I mean, Second crocodile team? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they, they did not spare expenses in terms of imports. Our team was a giant team of imports. We only had a few Finnish guys. There was this meme that was going around. We played Hamelina. Uh, actually, no, that was in 2017. We played Hamelina, and they like took out they took out the the non national players. So anybody who was on the field that was not from Finland, they took them out, and they kept the guys who were Finnish. And there was four people on the field. It was yeah. offense and defense, both <laughs> both sides of the ball. Four people. Um, so that's just like the, the kind of the type of imports that they bring over they, they bring in so many imports in 2016 we were loaded with imports we had some studs 2017 we didn't have as many guys uh, throughout the whole season but towards the end of it we did in the beginning we tried to go without some imports and then we, we brought in some guys as the season progressed yeah as you needed so where'd you go from there from Vasa from Vaza, I went to, I went to Spain. I went to okay. Spain. Valencia? In Valencia, yeah. And I played there for two games, but then there were some issues with my visa. So I ended up leaving um, early. Um, yeah. Yeah. What were your takeaways and, from Spain, even though it was a short time? I really liked it. I mean, the guys, the guys really, really cared about it. And they're, they were just super committed with the, the 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 few that were there it wasn't it wasn't 11 on 11 i mean the the for practice it wasn't that type of roster 
but the guys who were there were really, really committed and they really cared about it. Um, so it was fun to be in that environment. And they were also very accepting of, of information. I was in a weird situation there where I signed, I get there, I met the offensive coordinator and head coach, and he had his whole, whole system set up. And then like two weeks later, he quit and left. And then they were looking for another guy. So they hired this other coach or they said they were going to hire him. He was going to fly in and he sent me his offense. I quickly learned it within a few day process. And then I was going to present it to the team and say, Hey, look, this is our new offense. And right before that meeting, I get a phone call from him that he's not coming anymore. So don't present his offense, present my own offense. So then I had to then switch in like 20 minutes before the meeting. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do now? Um, so I had to present a whole different offense. Um, and then, I mean, the guys learned it well. We worked at it. Um, and it wasn't like I didn't like downplay anything or like uh, dumb some things down. We kept the offense quite complex. Uh, and I used a lot of the stuff that we used in Vaza. And it was, it was no problem at all. The guys picked it up very easily, even though, yeah, English wasn't the biggest, uh, you know, biggest language there. And that was a little bit of a barrier, more so than other countries. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun while, while I was there. Yeah. So then uh, <clears throat> you take off from there and that's when you end up Comets? Yeah. But yeah, for Algoy 2018, we were, we were with the Flying Circus offense um, for, for the first half of the season. And then, uh, coaches ended up leaving, uh, myself, I took over as OC and, uh, uh, one of the other imports took over as a DC Danny. Uh, and we kind of just put in our own systems, uh, for, for that year, made the playoffs. Um, how was the flying circus compared to your own offense for you comfort wise and Everything. I mean, comfort-wise, it, it was – the way that it was taught to me was very read-based. So you didn't have to identify the defense. All you had to do is just go through your reads. One, two, three, four, and that's it. Um, so that was, that was a new thing to me because I had never – I had never been in an offense where they, the thought process was, I don't care what the defense is. I'm just going to go through my reads and someone will be open. Um, so, I mean, it, in terms of like preparation, we didn't really do any. And that was, that was the, the thing that I was not a fan of, um, of like no, no game plans. We didn't do scout team. Uh, we didn't have like practice scripts. We basically just kind of, we just called all of the plays that we had, which was only a few. And Honestly, the offense, I like, I like the system. I think that system can work quite well. Um, I would just want to add more variation to it and also just plan a little bit um, with, with that offense. But, this, I mean, it worked. That system works. Uh, and How would I you think get to kind of run games and stuff because you were an empty every play? Every play. The, the only time that we had massive splits, which I was actually kind of questioning at first, and when we played some of the some of the faster teams, that actually was a problem. But for the majority of the teams, it wasn't a big issue. Um, but we, I mean, they were, I don't know, two-yard splits. or oh, No, sorry, not two-yard. 
Yeah, maybe like two yard, two yard splits, not two foot, two yards or something like that. But it was huge. Um, and yeah, we were empty every single play. So the idea behind that offense is if there's a five-man box, which there usually is a five-man box, you're going to have two side, two high safety look, you're going to have a five-man box, and then both outside backers are, are split out, then you can at any time check to dive. And then basically you'd have the center down block, and then they pull. They basically double the one tech up to, up to the mic. And that was the whole – that was the whole scheme. Um, that was the only run play that we really had. We did have a jet sweep, but that's technically a pass. But it's same idea as, as a run. Um, but How many yeah, times I, mean, did I think you carry the ball that year. Uh, did you have way more carries then? Yeah, I had more carries that year than 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 normal. Um, but honestly, like I'm not the quarterback for that system. We had a younger guy on our team, Calvin, who who would have been a, a better fit for that system, but he was just. He was just young at the time. He had only played football for, I think, like a year or two, two years, something like that. He was new, but he should have been able to, to run that system. Like it, would, it, would, it was designed much better for him um, as a running quarterback. I wasn't originally the guy that they were looking for, for that offense. They were looking for more of like the Tebow type of dude because yeah. um, that, that would have been much better. Um, somebody who can, who can basically spread them out. Okay, cool. We'll just take the run. Um, yeah. and then, I mean, we threw a ton of bubbles and, and stay routes and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I really did like looking back and I really do like that offense. I just think, uh, it can be, it can be tweaked a little bit to, yeah. to improve it. Yeah. We won our championship copying you because we decided to run, switch to a halfway through the season, went to five wide and ran up the middle a bunch. <laughs> and, uh, Swan, Swan. Yeah. Switch to your offense. That, that, was a, that was a thing. I remember having conversations with a bunch of people at that time because that was kind of a mini hot topic in the international football community. So people would just message me about that offense randomly. And, I mean, my whole thought process with that, if you have a team or if you're in a league that will not adjust intelligently, that offense is going to dominate anybody. But when you have teams that are like, like for us, what they did to stop us, and this was the problem we ran into, and we were just in panic mode. Like, I don't know what to do. Blah, blah. They, they, took, uh, they, they, they took their their corners, they put them outside the number one receiver and funneled everything in, and they played a like a prevent style of defense, always funneling everything in. Um, and then, yeah, a three-man front. and. Basically, they said, okay, if you're going to beat us, you run every single play. And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> but that's, that's the solution. If you're going to play prevent every single play, they're forcing our hand, basically. And we just didn't do what they said. So the, the solution is run the ball 100%. I can't hear you. Your mic is off. The other sideline yelled it at me because we were getting that same look, and they said, he's just running up the middle every play. <laughs> I was like, then do something so I can do something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's just, doing the same thing every play. Yeah. You're doing the same thing every play. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Switch. 
So you yeah. go from flying circus, you put up huge stats that year. You guys end up making the playoffs. Pretty good year for the Comets in general. Yeah, I think standard. I mean, they're they're usually solid. Usually a solid team. Did you enjoy yeah. Algier? Yeah, I really did. Right um, yeah, we went we went for a whole bunch of uh, and things like that in that area. Um, we had a big collection of imports. I mean, we had five import receivers, and we're all living in the same. We had one, two apartments, one on top of each other, um, so we were all hanging out all the time. So it was it was a fun experience. Yeah. So from uh, from there, where'd you end up next? And I end up next after that. Um, Oh, Straubing. Yeah, after the season ended in, in Algoy, um, the, the original plan was actually to go back to Algoy, and then some things ended up kind of falling through and ended up playing in Straubing for, for last year. And it, it, it really is it really is crazy how good my receiving corners have been uh, over the last six years. We had studs, like absolute studs. We had two dudes who came from Ingolstadt, who were a GFL one team, went and played there because their one of their buddies was the head coach, and then we had a uh, one dude Sixton, who is and right now he's playing over in America, um, and he was just a monster. I mean, that dude was like you would create a receiver on Madden. That's him. Like, that's the body type uh, and speed. And it was just – it was easy, um, yeah, go, going to him. There were, there were a couple teams that we played. I remember we played against one of my old roommates in Vaza. I lived with this dude. And then I realized, like, midway through the pregame warm-up, like, that's him. I'm, I'm watching this dude on film as I'm studying game tape. I'm like, this corner is solid. Like, that must be their American import. And then we get out there, and I realize it's, it was him, it was Jeff. And I'm like, oh, shit. Um, and I went – so I went after him with this dude, Sixton, because he was that type of dude. Like, it was a good battle between the two of them. Um, but, like, you have the confidence when you're throwing to a guy like that. You have the confidence that, like, whatever the route is, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, one-on-one -on -one is designed for offense. I mean, we're going we're to win one-on-one -on -one matchups. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take those chances and, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to, to kind of battle that one out, but yeah, we had some studs and then we also had a, a solid offensive line and a good running back. So we, we did, we did kind of a, a mix of everything, uh, last year. Yeah. What was your, uh, how'd you guys finish the season? What was the record? We finished, I don't know what the record was, um, but we we didn't win we didn't win the the championship um, in the beginning of the season we lost two games we started off like three three and three or two and two and three or something like that and I had like crazy high expectations and we lost to Ravensburg who won the championship um, in a close game that was that was such a, like a heartbreaking. Lost the last play of the game. We're like, I did a, a, a half rollout. So I had trips to the field, single receiver to the boundary. I told him to run a post corner. So I'm going to roll out to the right and then I'm going to launch it back across the field. And me not having the Aaron Rodgers cannon arm <laughs> underthrew it a little bit. He went up, caught the ball, 
and then landed on the one-yard line, game over. Um, so that sucked. But then we lost to Sarlin the next, the next week. Um, and that one's – GFL 2 is, is kind of – it's a little bit uh, different than, than the commitment level of GFL 1. Like, if you have an away game, Sarlin, it was like a seven-hour drive. So you just have guys who just don't show up. They, like, take vacation. We lost, we lost a game against a team in the middle of the season. They were 0-5 or something like that. I don't know. They were really not good. Um, we dominated on the last game of the season. We should have dominated them for this game. But everybody, because they thought we were going to dominate them, everybody took vacation. We were missing so many starters. And we ended up losing to this team. It was very frustrating. I was pissed. Um, and uh, yeah, but then we ended up finishing the season quite strong with, I don't know how many wins in a row, but we, we were getting everything together. And yeah, I, I think at the end of the season, no matter who we played, we would have beat them. So when we, we beat Ravensburg, we beat Star Island, uh, we, we would have we beat uh, any of the other teams if we kept playing them. Uh, but we had too many losses in the beginning of the season. So ended up out of the championship. Yeah. And then that was your last season that you've played since uh, this past yep. season got canceled and everything. Yep. So you've been with the Cowboys basically two years, but no games. So kind of what led you to Munich Cowboys and everything you're trying to build there and do? Yeah. The, uh, Garen, the head coach, I'm a huge, huge fan of him. Um, I, I like the way that he operates, his professionalism, the, his, his communication skills, the way that he, you know, kind of just carries himself uh, in front of the team. And, and you know, I, I'm a huge fan. And um, I actually tried to sign with Munich last year. I met with him and they were going with the, the at the time they were still going with the previous quarterback uh, from 2018. And he ended up not signing, but I had already signed with, with Straubing. Uh, and they had, they had Brady last year, who was, he's, he's a stud. I really liked him watching his film. Um, he was all around, you know, good player. Um, but yeah, I ended up talking to him last year, didn't happen. And then this year uh, I met Garen at the, not met him, but ran into him at the podium camp. Uh, so I went to that in Schwabish Hall. And uh, then we, you know, got to talking. He told me like, yeah, if you want to, you know, if you, if you want to potentially sign, just come to the tryout. So I was, I was at the tryout. I was the only American there. Everybody else is like German dudes. And we also had like a collection of guys who were just trying to play football. So you can imagine the difference in the level of like an import trying out versus a guy that someone saw on the street and was like, Hey, do you want to play football for the Munich Cowboys? <laughs> I'm so, on down. Yeah. Come on down. Yeah. So um, yeah, I went to the tryout, uh, impressed the, the OC and then, yeah, then uh, we, we assigned after that, and I've been here since. Um, but yeah. That's another thing. So that's kind of the uh, – so where did you get the humility to be – you know, you've thrown for 7 billion yards in Europe to say, yeah, I'll go to a, I'll go to a tryout for the Munich Cowboys. You just played for, uh, I mean, what, your fourth GFL club or something? Like you've been in the GFL, you've been in mm -hmm. Finland, you've been to championships. Where, where were you able to do that? I don't know. I mean, just in general, I think if 
I, it's not really something that I actually thought about or, or worried about or anything like that. But if you, if you don't, if you don't, uh, I guess if you're too confident and you don't actually just like, just say, okay, well, I think I'm good. Let me go prove it. Um, if you don't earn it, then you don't really deserve it. Um, I actually had a conversation the other day with uh, one of my friend's moms texted me and they saw that they, we signed another QB uh, in Munich. And then she was like, oh, well, you know, are, are you, are you going to be the starter? I'm like, I don't know. Like if I'm the starter, then I'm the starter. If not, then I didn't earn it. You know, that's, that's just the way that it is. And Algoy was the same way. We had three quarterbacks. I didn't sign as a starter. I signed as one of the guys who could potentially start. Um, and we just kind of, we just kind of battled at that, battled, battled it out that way. And that's the way that it should be. I mean, that's you and I grew up with that. Um, so I don't really think that it should be any different over here. You do definitely have an advantage as an import because you have got the coaching and you've got the experience, but if you can't prove that they should want you, then yeah, you're doing something wrong, I think. Yeah. So how's, uh, how's the training and the, everything you've been impl implementing with the Cowboys gone? Pretty good. Um, like, I mean, playbook wise, we're still working on that for, for this upcoming year. Um, and then right now we're in off season. We actually started our off season program, like two days before the lockdown happened in Germany. So right now there are no gyms open. Uh, and anybody who's able to lift has like a, has like a limited home gym. So it's quite difficult in terms of actually being, you know, consistent in the weight room. But uh, right now all the guys are, are doing a home workout that I created, which is just a ton of volume. Uh, <laughs> I've, I, have to, I actually have to, I have to kind of continue that and progress it um, this week. Cause we're going to start the next, the next uh, like weeks five to eight next week. I'm like looking at, I'm like, how do I progress this other than a ridiculous amount of volume? Cause we're, mind you, this is home only. The only thing we have is like exercise bands that I'm programming with, but yeah. not everybody has a pull-up bar, you know, so we can't really hit those. I can't ask everyone on the roster, which is over a hundred guys. I can't ask all these guys to go get pull-up bars. Um, cause I don't know their financial situation. So I'm trying to program with things that are very, very easy to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, some, I've been talking to some of the guys there. Push-ups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying school. to, trying to find variations of different tempos for, for squats and, and yeah, all body weight stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going well. Um, we'll find out, I guess we'll find out when we, when we actually get back out of the lockdown, we'll see, we'll see how much work has been put in, uh, to, to maintaining and actually improving uh fitness and performance and stuff like that prior to lockdown are you starting to feel like germany feels more like home yeah a little bit i mean i've been here for long enough um yeah i i mean i've, I've been i think i went home maybe once once a year for the last few years uh, yeah. and most of my time has been in europe and when i go home it's only for three weeks at a time or something like that uh, so I'll actually be leaving to go back to America the 17th of December, and I'll be back in Germany January 5th. Um, but that whole time, that's going to be a weird visit because I have to be quarantined for two weeks when I yeah. get there. So my friends are going to be pissed. 
because I'm going to go visit my grandparents and uh, I have to be quarantined first and then I'll spend the rest of that visiting them and then fly back. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so would, do you ever feel like you miss America or you miss home or you wanted to, you know, is there ever, a, ever been a thought that you're like, Oh, okay. I've played European football. I'm done. Or could you, could you not play football? Do you need it? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's been a, a big thought process that's been going through my head for the last year. Um, I know that I, I want to go back to America. I know that I, I'm going to do that. I just don't know when right now. Uh, but the plan is not to stay in Europe forever because for me, home is, I know that home is kind of, you know, it's based on the people that you're around and um, anywhere can feel like home and it can be made to feel like home. Uh, but for me, all my family is is home for me. So uh, I know that I'm going to get back at some point. I just, yeah, kind of waiting to, waiting to see you know, which moment is going to be that moment. But I don't know if that's going to be in a year, two years, three years. How have they felt about, because they probably thought seven, six, seven years ago when you got a Facebook message, you weren't going to be gone the next six, seven years. So how have they yeah. felt about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I know that definitely added some stress. Uh, and I've actually got two nieces right now who are uh, eight and nine. And I mean, they were little babies when I left and now they're, you know, fully functioning human beings that know how to talk and draw and things like that. I think, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely hoping that I, that I come back, or at least I hope that they're hoping that I come back. Um, but they have been supportive throughout the whole process. Um, so it's not like it's been a problem. It hasn't like presented any issues or anything like that. I also do spend a good amount of time, you know, I set aside time to talk to them on a semi-regular basis. I'm not a huge um, texter for, for things and yeah, but in general, I think they've been supportive. So on the other side of that coin, you're a coach, you're also a trainer. So as far as performance, both mentally and physically, you're big time into that. And I'd say you're almost your first test subject so isn't there any part of you that does kind of want to be European Tom Brady, see how long you can play, how, how long you can keep this level of performance and keep, I, you know, you've been improving, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm definitely better than I was, you know, X amount of years ago, uh, way better than I was in college. Um, and I, I mean, I think that yes, the, the performance part of that is, is playing a big role, but I, it would play a bigger role if I was a running back or something, but playing QB most of that improvement is, is mental. Um, but in terms of the, the performance, my whole thing with that is I want to, I mean, I want to run the, I want to, I want to train just in general, the international American football community. That's my goal is, is to be the, the trainer for all of the teams in, in Europe um, or at least the collective and have that be a standard thing. Cause right now it's, it's not, I mean, you know this, we don't have strength and conditioning coaches for teams. We don't have a facility that we can say, okay, hey, Munich Cowboys, we're all training at this facility at this time. So everybody's getting the same programming. Everybody's getting the same coaching. Right now, the way that the international community is set up, it's 
you know, here's a gym membership and like work out. But then what does that mean? That means something different to every single person. It's not systematic uh, in any way. It's, it's more of just kind of, yeah, just doing your own thing at the gym. So the bigger goal is, is to have that be the outcome of me playing in Europe for so long uh, and, and just kind of making the connections and, and really loving the sport in Europe and, and just finding that as like, you know, a new passion. Um, so building that up is, is the, the bigger goal. Of course, playing is, is something that I love doing. That'll never go away. I probably will want to play forever. Um, we'll, we'll see when I, when I, decide to stop playing but i'm sure i'll probably get into coaching at that point um but yeah it's it's uh, <laughs> how often do you think about football or think about something schematically of football throughout the day every not every single day i work on football um my schedule right now is mostly i'm sorry you find yourself thinking about it though Thinking about it, yes. I mean, I have, I mean, I have like, I have drawings and I have a whiteboard behind me that every once in a while I'll just kind of have an idea and write it down. Also, when I watch football, because I'm a, you know, of course you watch, watch a whole bunch of football, I watch it with the intent of trying to understand the schematics of what they're using and kind of see how it can be applied. Uh, to to our situation because the defenses there are different they they design the plays different mostly for you know it's a whole bunch of man beaters um uh, we we don't really see too much of that for the most part but um yeah I, I basically try to watch everything and then get some ideas from there and see how we can implement it into our scheme um so I do enjoy that but most of my schedule is, is dedicated towards the the strength and conditioning side of things what would you say is the number one thing you see in a, a European kid that's come out to play uh, functionally that they need to work on from a strength and conditioning uh, standpoint? Uh, well, I think the, the biggest thing is that most of the athletes uh, in general can just, they can improve their, their strength and that's going to play a bigger role on everything else uh, because they, they don't, they don't use fundamental movement patterns for the most part in the gym, talking to random athletes. They don't squat on a very regular basis. Uh, they don't deadlift on a regular basis. They don't do these core lifts. They do the variations of the core lifts. They skip, they skip the hard part and they go right to the fun part about training. Um, so I think that's strength development is probably the, the biggest aspect that, if as a collective, everyone decided to strength train, they would all see a benefit in their overall performance because it's going to make them run faster. It's going to make them jump higher, uh, change directions better, just from adding strength, not, not necessarily like doing all the cool, the, I mean, you need to do all the other stuff as well, but that's probably the biggest, the biggest change that could be uh, implemented. How much have you seen football grow uh, in your time here? in Europe? I think quite a, quite a bit. Um, but it's also, I mean, it, so looking at like the GFL in 2014, um, I think Schwabish Hall made it to the championship that year and they were not the type of team that they are now. Um, Cause now they're just 
I mean, they're stacked. They're stacked with like a lot of dual citizenship guys. I think the amount of imports now is more because there's more money in it now. So guys can, or teams can bring over a whole bunch of, uh, you know, dual citizenship dudes. And then it's like, if you look at Schwabish Hall, like they're, the way that they're doing it is, is amazing. They're bringing guys over not to stay for six months and leave, but to stay and help coach and grow the guys that are here. So while they have a crazy amount of imports, all of the, the, the players underneath those imports, they're getting a lot more coaching than normal. Because it's not like you got – imagine you, you go in as, a, as an import QB and you're coaching the young guys that are there. But you stay there 12 months a year. And now that, that extra QB is getting a lot more work. So that's you know, kind of the, the growth that I've seen is that more people, more teams are staying or having their imports stay longer. And there's also more imports. There's also more coaching coaches that I've seen. Um, and – yeah, I've, I mean, I don't know, because I wasn't really active in the international community before, but there's a pretty big network of coaches, you know, on Facebook, uh, who are always in touch with each other. Uh, and they've got, you know, groups where, you know, you can discuss information and, and everybody kind of shares knowledge. So as you keep passing information around, the sport is going to grow in the quality of the coaching and the, uh, the schematics, all that stuff. So I've seen, yeah, probably quite a bit. So how do you get the Cowboys able to compete with Schwabish Halls and New Yorker Lions and the like this season, the top of GFL? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's I, – I really, really think that anybody can beat anybody as long as everybody knows their job and they, they, if they understand the details of the play – anything can be successful. Any, any team can be successful. Um, Cause if you really understand your, your schematic, what you're trying to accomplish on that particular play and you understand the, the decision-making process, um, the, the, you know, the footwork, the hand placement, all of that stuff for every single position, then it's just about executing. And I think, I don't know. I, I think that maybe people assume that like, okay, well, yeah, they have a bunch of talent and then, but that's not why they're good. I mean, yes, it's a part of it, but they're good because they do the little details, right? So the idea isn't uh, like for Munich, we're not going to bring in, you know, we're not going to have 15 imports. That's not going to be our thing. But if we can get these small details, right. And really like focus on those fundamentals of, of every aspect of our game, then we have a chance to compete with anybody. And I don't think anybody would argue um, that, you know, that's like, that is the way to, that is the way to growth, like long-term growth. And also just, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's better for, for the international community in general to have a few less imports than we have now. I think that's probably the, the direction that I would say we should aim in uh, as well. Uh, if someone had never seen Justin Sotelaire play, what NFL player or person would you say that's kind of who you're most like or who you most model your game after? Matt Moore. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, um, modeling my game after? I don't, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't really think about stuff like that. I don't really have a particular player. I, I, try, to <clears throat> I try to use Brady's footwork. But 
I mean, he's Brady. He's crazy consistent, and I am not. His, um, I mean, in terms of pocket movement, that's, I don't really think I emulate anybody because uh, that's an area that I, you know, need to develop um, a whole bunch. Throwing motion stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have a guy. I think in general for me, I just try to look at what a group of QBs are doing and then find out the positives of that that I can try to implement. But some of the guys that I look at, um, I mean, I, I've watched uh, the, the Bengals QB uh, a whole bunch this year. I really like him. Um, uh, Brady, of course. I didn't really watch Manning too much. I really like Rodgers. I like his his throwing motion. His style is very fluent and just uh, quite natural. And there's, there's, there's throws on film that I've seen that I do that, but it's not every single throw. Not like he's, you know, he's completely fluent with every single throwing motion. I'm not like at that level, uh, but there's, there's some plays where I, I'll try to get that if I, if I can. Um, but yeah, just a, just a group of dudes that I, that I watch and study from. What's the thing that you think you have to work on the most about your gameplay? or you focus on the most, if you have this whole year to get better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the decision-making decision -making processes? Yeah. If you, if you can really master, like every play is a, is a problem. So uh, I get to line of scrimmage. I see what the problem is. I have a solution. It might not be the right solution for that problem, but I have, I have a solution here. The, the, the decision-making process to say, okay, well, what is the problem? what's the solution and then from there when the play starts that's a that's a new problem like that's the start of the, the next level of the problem and then each read is again something that needs to just go through in a, in a checkpoint so for me yeah the the mental side of things of saying and being disciplined with not allowing any emotion whatsoever to dictate decisions and just kind of saying like yeah, okay, for, for this concept, this is what I need to do. I need to, I need to key on this safety, and I need to go here to here. If this, then that. And if I can get really good at that, then, you know, you don't, you don't need to be crazy athletic. You don't need to, to have any, anything special about you at all, and you can just win by making consistent, better decisions. So that's the, that's the main thing. So you've designed your own playbook your own you call it system uh, why is that the system you choose and how did you come about building that whole thing i i stole it from everyone that i know all the good ideas that i know from everybody else that's what i did i the playbook that i created and i gave out in 2017 18 something like that it was a combination of my wesley offense my vaza royal offense some stuff that some concepts in like combination of concepts that the Patriots and the Dolphins do. So I stole a little bit of everything. And then after playing an Algoy, I stole some of that stuff as well because I really liked it. Um, last year in playing in Straubing, I stole some of that stuff. I just, you know, every year I'm just gonna, I'm gonna find, cause every coach has their different like bread and butter plays. If you get a collection of really good bread and butter players that, that don't like, you know, they don't completely mess up your system. If you add too much and it doesn't fit with your system, 
then it's gonna just conflict and it's gonna be a problem. But if you have enough stuff that that is, you know, it seamlessly goes in, then yeah, I just I'll just add stuff. So that's that's it was a long process. Uh, the first time I just had to sit down and I was actually watching, I was trying to get the run stuff down and I'm watching Wesley's offensive line so I can look at inside zone. We we're playing against Mount Union and I'm watching us play them and I'm trying to get our offensive line rules to create them myself because I didn't have, um, I didn't like really know that while I was in college. I didn't understand the offensive scheme, uh, the offensive line stuff. So now that I was studying it, I looked at Mount Unions and I loved the way that they ran inside zone. It was a lot of lateral movement and everybody, I mean, it was very, very simple if you, if you break it down, um, but they were just, you know, consistent with it. So I used that, that style of inside zone in 2016. In 2017, I met another coach, uh, Booker, who had his system for inside zone. And I kind of took those rules and then you can use the logic for that and then just apply it to other concepts, power, counter, and basically just kind of write out the rules. And then on a whiteboard, draw out like, okay, well, this is the base rule. Give me something that will destroy this rule. So then you draw up a, a scheme or a defensive front that doesn't beat or that your scheme doesn't beat. And then you have to create a variation for that rule or a tag or something. And that's kind of like just guess and check over and over and over problem solution. And then you can generate enough rules and then simplify it to come up with what you think works. So if you had to coin what your offensive philosophy then, as you spoke about trying to think run first, there's spread, there's run and shoot, there's, you know, crazy circus or whatever you ran. So what would you say that your system is or what you would coin it or, I like crazy circus behind it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really like, I don't like putting like a label on something because if you like in general, if you, if you have like, okay, this is what we do. And if your answer is that always like, let's say you, let's say as a coach, you say, okay, well, we always convert all, all hitches to fades against the press corner. If you have a, ge a generic rule and it applies to every single situation, I, I think you're going to run into situations where it doesn't work. So I don't like to put blanket things on this, uh, on anything. So uh, I, I wouldn't really say that I, there's like a, uh, a specific style. It's a combination of a bunch of different things. You can run the system that I, I'll use. It can use all different personnels. Um, and all coaches do this. You can use as many personnel as you want. You can use as many different styles of play as you want. It, it doesn't always have to be like you'll major, you'll major in one thing. Um, and I guess for me, that would be, yeah, probably, probably the spread is what I would major in, but um, it also depends on the opponent. If we play a team that I know we can just run down, we will not run any spread that game. Like, like how you said in your game, they're yelling from the sidelines. Well, you're doing the same play. Yeah, okay, well, that's what is going to allow us to win. So if you guys would have won that game by going double tight end, a wing, and a fullback and a running back, then do that, you know? And the system should allow for that. There should be rules built into the system that allow you to use the same concepts with as many methods as you want. 
And that way you're not really defined to one way. Like we're run and shoot. We are spread. We are pro. We're not anything. We're just whatever the opponent tells us we can do, we're going to do it. And we're that. Are you more huddle or no huddle? Uh, yeah, that depends on the situation. Um, I like to use different tempos. So sometimes you'll, I'll always huddle the first play of every drive. That's what I was taught in college. And we did huddle first drive, our first play of every drive, and we huddled in the red zone. But, uh, and then we were no huddle for everything else. I like to mix it up. I like to mix it up. Sometimes we'll go like no huddle, slow tempo. So we will, we'll get the snap, uh, the play clock all the way down to two seconds before we snap it. Or we'll go, you know, no huddle where I don't even look for a play from the offensive coordinator. I just tell him I got it and I quickly call something and we snap it, you know, as soon as possible. So I want to get them in their base defense and I'm going to call a base play, something like that. Yeah. How important are things like snap counts for you? Um, not as important as they should be. I mean, like they are important, but I, I haven't put a huge emphasis on them. That's one thing that I definitely need to, to research a little bit more because when I, you know, when I hear like interviews with Aaron Rodgers, him saying that they have so many snap counts, we don't have that many snap counts over here. I don't know anybody who has that many snap counts over here, but, um, that's definitely something that I need to, that I need to maybe talk to some NFL guys and, and get the get what type of snap counts I use and then see how I can simplify it simplify that concept for over here yeah how to use that better uh what's been your your favorite memory of any of these years best memory best memory okay best game best memory the first thing that comes to mind Ah. if someone's playing overseas what is it doesn't even have to be playing could be we were walking out of the house 3 a.m. Okay. First thing that pops in my mind right now, we're playing against Turku uh, in 2015. And I had my buddy Spencer on the outside. We had two hitch and goes. And I didn't want to go to him because he's a slow dude. He is not an outside receiver. He switched to slot after that season. And he played with me in 2016, 2017, and 2018. He played with me. He went to Vaza. And he played with me in Algoy as well. Um, and, uh, he was a slot receiver every year, except for that first year. But, um, I drop back hitch and go. I look to him cause I want to look off the safety and then throw the hitch and go on the other side, single high. And, um, uh, I realized that this guy wasn't winning. So I had to go back to Spencer and I hit him. We're also down at this point. We're losing the game and only, I don't know a few minutes, maybe a minute left or something like that in the game and throw it. He catches in a stride, runs it in for a touchdown. And it was the loudest that I've ever heard a stadium in Europe get that I have been playing in. Uh, And it wasn't even a big stadium. We didn't have that many people, but they went wild and it was a pretty cool feeling. Um, And that was, yeah, game winning touchdown ended up up winning the game. So that was cool. So you've had amazing receiving course. If I made you pick, what should I say? Two receivers, four, one. Which one of those? You can pick one, two, or four. Your choice. Either build up the whole core, or just go the one guy or the two guys. Not make it too hard. Your choice. Of a of a receiving core. 
You're the receiving core throughout the whole one of who you played with, or you can just pick the one guy that's been. Ooh, okay. Well, I, so I've played with – I've had two American receivers over here, and both times when I played with them, they dominated. And it wasn't because of me. Uh, <laughs> it's because they're crazy good. Um, so RJ, who I was hoping to play with this year in Munich, he actually signed. Um, so he's, he's one of those dudes that, like, he's going to win the 50-50 battle. It's not a 50-50 battle when I throw it to him on a jump ball. It's, it's 70-30. Um, so the, if you ever, like, watch his highlights from when he played with me, he just won a whole bunch of jump balls that I had shit. I just threw the ball really poorly, and he just won. Um, so he's that, he's like that dude. And he'll also run. I mean, he's, he's not the fastest guy, but we would give him end arounds. We'd give him reverses. We moved him. He played backside single. He played in the slot on the backside. He played number three on trips, number two on trips and number one. There were, and he played quarterback for, for a game and he won. Uh, so he's like an all around athlete can do, can do everything. Um, and then Jordan, uh, I played with Jordan Paul um, in 2018, and he was smooth. He came in as a quarterback, and we had some receiver who, was, who showed up, and he was like, yeah, not feeling it. I'm just going to go home. So Jordan stepped in for that practice and, like, dominated. I was just throwing the ball to Jordan the whole time to let the other receiver know, like, we don't need you. If you, if you don't want to be here, get out of here. We got this dude here. And then for that season, he put up crazy numbers. He, I think he was second um, in the GFL for, for everything. But he was, yeah, he was legit. So those two guys, I'd say. Those two take the cake. Yep. Uh, your other main, main takeaway of what, you, what you're going to be doing next. The last takeaway, what you're doing next. Yeah, right now I'm just trying to, to, to grow Athletic Fitness Academy. Um, and, and, and basically just master all of the, the details of playing quarterback, my mental processes for moving forward football-wise, and then strength and conditioning-wise, just continue to grow, learn every day, um, and, yeah, hopefully just, you know, change the whole outcome of uh, – <laughs> change the whole future of uh, international American football. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Win a GFL championship, Munich Cowboys. That's that is written down. That's written this down. My goals. Perfect, mm -hmm. Justin. Yep. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man. You bud.